0: In John chapter 11, several questions arise out of how Jesus handles the death of his good friend Lazarus. But a logical look at the assumptions we have about this chapter may cause us to rethink what we thought we already knew about Lazarus' new lease on life. Welcome to episode 16, The Resuscitation of Lazarus. Thanks for coming back this week to the podcast. We're just going to jump into John chapter 11. And what we're going to find is that we're likely holding on to some assumptions about who God is and how he operates in the world. That if we put some of those assumptions to the test with the content that we find in John chapter 11, we might just have to rethink some of those commonly held beliefs that have been lingering maybe in the back of our head for quite some time. So we're going to treat this episode kind of like that old show Mythbusters. You remember the show. It's a docuseries where they would take a commonly held belief, they would put it to the test, and at the end of the episode of their show, they would either uphold the statement as a fact or they would bust it and expose it as a myth. So I've just pulled up on a website here the top 10 best shows out of that docuseries series. In number 10, they tried to uh, destroy a vehicle by smashing it in a demolition derby with two other vehicles. Yeah, I missed that one. In another episode, in season five, uh, they looked at whether all those underwater movie car escape scenes are actually legit. And what does it take to actually escape from a car underwater? Uh, Number eight in this list is uh, whether people actually landed on the moon in Apollo 11 Yeah, And number seven on this list, and this is the one I'll finish with because I think it's the best one ever. (laughs) They asked the question, can two men survive being marooned on an island with only a pallet of duct tape? (laughs) And there's a picture on this website of him in a hammock made of duct tape. So in a similar way that that show would take a commonly held belief, put them to the test and expose them as a myth or as truth. We're going to take some commonly held beliefs that you might hold, or maybe people that you know hold on to, and we'll just take a look at it in terms of how they play out in the text of John chapter 11. So let's just jump in. The first assumption that some people have is that Jesus always gives us what we want, and really all we have to do is ask for it. You may have heard something like this in a sermon, you may have been talking to your next door neighbor, and they... Mentioned that they're praying for a certain thing, that Lamborghini or whatever it is, that mansion on top of the hill. And maybe it's just in America, but there seems to be an assumption that I've run across that really all we have to do is ask, and Jesus is going to give us whatever we want. But as we dive into John chapter 11, what we find is that there's a family, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, two sisters and a brother, and the brother is sick. And all three of these are well-known by Jesus. In fact, it says in verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Lazarus is sick. And what do the sisters do? Well, they want him to get better. So in verse 3, the sisters sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now I've got to believe that their intent was to get Jesus there as quickly as possible, heal him, and let everybody go on with their day. And Jesus has a really strange response. Verse 6, so when he heard that he was sick, that's when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after that, he said to his disciples, okay, let's go to Judea again. And so I know we know that this isn't true, this assumption that all we have to do is ask and God's going to give us what we want. Because, of course, what we want is always exactly What God would have for us. But in John chapter 11, that assumption is exposed as a myth. If you had asked Mary and Martha exactly what they wanted, they would have never come up with the scenario that Jesus had planned for the rest of this chapter. I found that in my life, and I'm sure you found that in your life as well. Thank God that he doesn't give us everything that we ask for. Thank God that that's not how this thing works. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't be requesting things, but we should always have the caveat in the back of our head that, you know what, this is really what I'm wanting here. But if for some reason you've got something else in mind, let's just be open to whatever it is that God brings our way. And it gives the thought, at least in this chapter, that Jesus didn't heal everyone who was sick. If you remember back in the pool of Bethesda, he goes and there's a multitude of sick people laying around the pool, and that day he just chooses to heal one of the people there, which means by default that he left a whole pool full of people wanting to get better, and they all went home sick that day. So I've got to believe that there is a higher purpose working when there is someone that is sick. And they're not healed. And just a reminder, we will all be sick, just like Lazarus was. It leaves me, at least with an impression in this case, that Jesus doesn't heal everyone who is sick, and that there may be a higher purpose for them not to be healed, even though that would be our want and desire all the time. It's a good reminder as I was not feeling well this last week, and I said more than a few prayers for my physical healing. So assumption number one, Jesus always gives us what we want. All we have to do is ask. I'm exposing that one as a myth. It's going down is not a fact. I think we've got good biblical representation, not just from this chapter, but from the rest of scripture. Assumption number two has to do with the lingering soul of Lazarus. We read in John eleven six. it says, so when he heard that he was sick, Jesus stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And there's a question, well, why is he waiting two days? Obviously, we know what happens in those two days. He dies. But then we jump down into verse 17 of John 11. And it says, so when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. And it seems like most preachers mention that there was some Jewish thought, that there was a belief that a spirit of a person hung around the body for about three days before it left. And they suggest that this may be the reason that Jesus waited four days to get to the tomb of Lazarus. And so I looked into this one a little bit, um, like a MythBuster, and I had a hard time tracking it down. But I did find a few Jewish sources that Talk about the soul hovering over the body for anywhere from three days to seven days to 12 months after death. Some of these are attributed back to the 7th century AD. Some of them back to the 5th century AD. Some as late as the 13th century. And there's one that suggests maybe there was an oral tradition back even into the 2nd century AD, but I couldn't find anything. Really, that suggested that in Jesus' day, there was this assumption of a soul lingering around the body, and that maybe that is why Jesus waited the time that he did to arrive four days after his death. And so, knowing that that is out there in Jewish thought, but it's much later, gonna kind of have to look at this from a different perspective let's just assume that there was that thought in Jesus day that the soul of a body kind of lingered over and around the body for three days and that that was in Jewish thought in Jesus day well we know from other scriptures that that's not how souls work after the depart from the body after death and so I would suspect that if Jesus had known that that was a part of the culture and he had also chosen to wait the three or four days to get there after his death, that Jesus would have corrected the false understanding instead of just accommodating it and then letting it go without mention. I mean, it seems to me that he would have shown up maybe on the fourth day, but then spoken to and corrected the idea that, no, this is not really how it works. And for that matter, I would suspect that there would have been similar objections brought up at the time of Jesus' resurrection, because that happened on the third day. It was within the three-day time period, but we see really no objections like this challenging Jesus' resurrections. We do see challenges of Jesus' resurrection. Some people saying the body was stolen— But we don't see anyone coming up with this idea that the soul was lingering there and just reattached itself to the body somehow. So if it was an assumption in Jesus' day, it just seems to me like he would have attacked it and corrected the false understanding, and that we, like I said, would have seen it again later in Jesus' story with his own death, burial, and resurrection. So that kind of prompts the question, logically speaking, why would Jesus have delayed those two days? And I believe the text gives us some clues. So first, let's just remember that Jesus really didn't need to go visit Lazarus at all. He could have healed him from where he was in the safety of the Transjordan wilderness. There was no need for him to go for the healing to take place. And we also have to notice that this is not the first time that Jesus brought someone back from the dead. But the other times, Jairus' daughter and the woman's son in the city of Nain, you can find those in Mark 5.22, Luke 7.11, both of those stories have Jesus raising someone out of death shortly after they fell into death. So with Lazarus, there's a distinction from the other events that are similar in that For some reason, Jesus wanted to delay. And like I said, I think the text give us some clues because here in verse 18, it says, Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, and that's critical. It's only about two miles away from Jerusalem. So just from previous episodes, what do we know is going on in Jerusalem? Well, it's the temple cult. It's the temple worship that's been turned upside down by the religious leaders of the day. It's the one that Jesus is exposing as false and that he is predicting the end of. And so his buddy Lazarus dies two miles away from there. And verse 19 says, And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So simply put, it took time for the word to spread about Lazarus' death. Let's kind of go through the timeline. People in Bethany would have known first, that first day. News would likely have spread to Jerusalem and the surrounding neighborhoods by that second day. And people would start gathering to mourn soon after finding that out. And by the time Jesus arrives, everyone, and I mean everyone in that surrounding area, knew that Lazarus had died. And by this time, there were too many witnesses for the religious leadership to just say it didn't happen. And it's after this event that Jesus departs from the area, and then we don't know exactly how long he's gone, but before he returns again near the Passover time of his death, this is kind of the last event before that return. So this is a big one. And I would suggest that Jesus is going for splash value. He's looking to do a cannonball in the middle of the pool, and he wants to get everyone a little wet. So why is it that Jesus may have delayed for the two days? I suspect it has nothing to do with Jewish thought of the day or anything of that nature. I suspect that the text gives us the clues and that what the text suggests is those days allowed for word to get out. It allowed for the Jews to come and witness and be a part of the whole mourning process and then they could not deny what Jesus was about to do. And the next comment I want to make is just about John eleven thirty nine. Uh, in the NASB, it says, Jesus said, remove the stone Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. And I just like uh, comparing the different versions with this. There's a lot of uh, stench language, like we saw here in the NASB. Uh, There's a bad odor. That's how the NIV takes care of it. And... There's a stench in the New King James, and there's also a stench in the New Revised Standard. But then what I find just humorous is the authorized version, the King James version. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. That always just brings a chuckle to my day. When I think about the translational committee of the King James version there early in the 1600s they're probably dressed up in very formal attire maybe they have wigs on they're sitting around a table and they come to John 11:39 and they take a vote <laughs> He stinketh yes yes let's move on that's 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 right And that brings us to the next assumption or myth that I want to tackle for this chapter. It's in 1143, and it's just simply the words, Lazarus, come forth. And I want to be honest, i listened to numerous sermons in preparation for this week's episode, specifically on this chapter. I just did a Google search for sermons for John chapter 11 and our pericope that we're working with. And in each of the sermons that I listened to, every single one, Not one of them missed it. You know, someone said once that if Jesus hadn't mentioned Lazarus by name, everyone in all the graves would have come forth. And in every single sermon, there's a chuckle in the audience and the pastor will laugh. And then in every single case, the pastor just sort of moves on to the next part of the text. It doesn't comment on that at all. (laughs) And I think maybe they just assume everybody knows that's an assumption or that's a joke but I'm not sure that's the case. I think there's people that actually believe that if Jesus hadn't said Lazarus's name, that literally every dead person would have come out of the graves. So I just want to take that assumption and sort of look at it for a second, because I think as we unpack it, there'll be some clarity that comes to it. I also want to say that I did look some of this up. There's a couple of commentaries that mention this that I found. The Bible Exposition Commentary by Warren Wiersbe, mentions for this passage, he says, A quaint Puritan writer said that if Jesus had not named Lazarus when he shouted, he would have emptied the whole cemetery. Jesus called Lazarus and raised him from the dead. And then, again, he doesn't mention anything about the comment that the quaint Puritan writer had said. He doesn't say it's true. He doesn't say it's not true. <laughs> he just mentions it. <laughs> so Weersby gives that uh, quote to a quaint Puritan writer, unnamed, Uh, I found some other ones. Uh, The Bible Knowledge Commentary, Blum, mentions that Jesus shouted only three words, Lazarus come out. And he mentions that Augustine, the church father, once remarked that if Jesus had not said Lazarus' name, all would have come out from the graves. So Blum traces it back to Augustine, which is even further than the quaint Puritan writer, But again, even Blum doesn't take a moment to even mention that this was somehow a joke uh, that nobody really believes in. Given the opportunity, it it seems to me this is a chance to take this statement and actually look at it for what it is and see if it's really true or just a myth. So let's just look at it logically for a minute. Let's just say Jesus comes to the scene uh, where Lazarus is in the tomb and Let's say he's meaning for only Lazarus to come forth, but let's just say he says the words come forth and that then all the tombs do start emptying out, all the dead people start walking out. It's just, it's just a crazy scene. Let me just ask you, what would Jesus's response be in that circumstance? <laughs> would he be saying, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I didn't mean to, I, I should have said, uh, no, I mean, that's ridiculous. It's this idea that is floating out there that suggests that maybe the actual words that Jesus spoke had more power than the intent of the word who spoke them. And when we state it that way, the premise sounds immediately ridiculous. It's not the words that have the power, it's the intent of Jesus, the word, the creator of the universe. Jesus could have said anything he wanted And Lazarus would have come out if that was Jesus's intent. So you might wonder, why am I spending so much time with this? What's the big deal? My concern is this, left unchecked, thinking like this might lead some to believe that the power of God resides more in the reciting of a particular concoction of words over and above the will of God himself. In fact, this is the belief of some people in the church There are those that teach that the words we say have creative power. And if we are able to put the correct concoction of words, the right mixology, the right wordology together, God has to grant us our request. And that's a real thing out there today. And it speaks to the first myth that we talked about today. God doesn't give us everything we want. And it speaks to this myth that if we just say the right words in the right way with the right amount of faith god has to obey whatever we say and that is a myth that's not how god works and it's thoughts like that that if we float them out there in a sermon and we don't we chuckle at them but we don't really clarify what we're chuckling at that they can become misunderstood There's another idea that I wanted to bring in here. It's not from John chapter 11, but it's an idea that's out there kind of in church world. And it's this idea that people, when we die, we become angels in heaven. Now there's nothing biblical about that, but I've been to a number of different services for people that have passed away, maybe a young child where someone will get up and say, maybe God just needed another angel up in heaven. And I have to admit My favorite movie of all time, It's a Wonderful Life, has done probably the greatest disservice to this belief ever. Because we all know that every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. And those angels are departed people that have died and gone to heaven and they're waiting for their wings. Nothing is further from the truth. It's not inside the Bible that we find that, it's in popular culture. And it's really hard to sometimes correct things like this. I mean, if you're at a funeral, I'm not going to be the one that stands up and corrects somebody that talks about, you know, the little child that's just died. But I think it is important to bring correction and clear thought to the things that we believe. So here's my chance just to say about Lazarus. With the intent to raise only Lazarus out of the grave, Jesus could have said anything he wanted to, or he could have said nothing at all and Lazarus would have come forth. And lastly, I'd like to take a look at this idea that is floating out there, that Lazarus was resurrected from the dead and i'm going to disagree lazarus was not resurrected from the dead even though my favorite nasb bible for the pericope heading says the death and resurrection of lazarus i think most every other bible version in the english language does it better by saying either jesus raises lazarus or christ raises lazarus or some other variation of that sentiment but the fact that the NASB has chosen to call this a resurrection is unfortunate. And it's just an unfortunate theological distinction because resurrection is a big theme in the New Testament. And if we go to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 21 through 23, I'm just going to read that real quick. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive." but each in his own order Christ the first fruits and after that those who are Christ at his coming and it goes on the corinthians passage goes on but in the New Testament, Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. And if you're not familiar with that terminology, this idea of first fruits is as a harvest was coming out of the ground in ancient Israel, what they would do is pick the first part of that harvest and take it to the temple and offer it to God as a first fruits offering. They would leave the rest of the harvest in the field until they got back from offering the first fruits. It was the first part of the harvest. And when it comes to the resurrection in the New Testament, it is clear that Jesus is the first out of the grave in the resurrection. So what do we do with these examples in the New Testament before the resurrection of Jesus, where people are brought back to life? And in theological terms, it's just a minor distinction, we call that a resuscitation. And the distinction is this. In a resuscitation, someone is brought out of the grave, brought back to life but it's not in the new resurrected body. It's in their old body, and that old body will die again. And the distinction is that Lazarus came out of the grave, but it was in his regular body, and he went back into the grave at some point in the future. The text doesn't tell us that exactly, but he's not walking around today. so how'd we do today with the busting of myths out of john chapter 11 well as we've discussed this chapter has suggested to us that we might not always get exactly what we want in life god is not bound to give us whatever we want just because we've been able to spit some lyrical rhymes we've just been reminded that there's an overarching theme that god is in control and it's his will and his desire that takes first seat we also looked at the delay of jesus arriving in bethany and we concluded that it probably had more to do with jesus's intended audience than with some underlying myth about jewish thought in his day and yes lazarus probably did stinketh right before jesus resuscitated him back to life well that's all i've got for today And just a reminder that at RethinkingScripture.com, I've got video teachings on each chapter in the whole book of John that discuss even more than I'm able to do here on the podcast. You can look for it under the Bible Studies tab at RethinkingScripture.com. And in the next episode, we'll move on into John chapter 12, where we'll look at how idol worship makes our physical senses unable to process things in the spiritual realm. Thanks again for listening, and please take some time this week to rate, review, and recommend to your friends the Rethinking Scripture podcast.